Welcome to the Moms of Tweens and Teens podcast. If some days you doubt yourself and you don't know what you're doing, if you've ugly cried alone in your bedroom because you felt like you're failing, well, I just want you to know you're not alone and you have come to the right place. Raising tweens and teens in today's world is not easy. And I'm on a mission to equip you to love well and to raise emotionally healthy, happy tweens and teens that thrive. I believe that moms are heroes and we have the power to transform our family and to impact future generations. If you are looking for answers, encouragement, and to become more of the mom and the woman that you want to be, welcome. I'm Cheryl Gould, and I am so glad that you're here. Hi, friend. Welcome to the show today, and I am so glad that you're here. And I was gone last week, and I missed you, and I'm back. My daughter, Lily, just came in last week from she was spending eight weeks in a leadership ministry program called Kaleo. Maybe you've heard of it, or you have a kid that's participated in this amazing program. And now she's going to be home for about three weeks until she goes back to college. But I am really trying to pay attention to my energy right now and like that ebb and flow. A friend was saying that ebb and flow. When I'm in the flow to really work hard and lean in and then when I need to cut back, when I notice that I'm tired or I need to relax and enjoy the summer to be able to do that. And I wanted to share that with you because maybe you relate as a mom that you're just putting out so much, doing so much, and you're in the flow and it feels good, but then all of a sudden you notice your energy is waning and you need to give yourself permission to rest. And we really need to do that to give ourselves that permission. So I wanted to share that with you and I'm back and I'm excited about you hearing this episode today. I am interviewing Nellie Harden and she is so positive and she's very inspiring and she is a wife and a mom. She has four daughters and she's also a family experience designer and parenting coach And I had never heard that family experience designer. And you're going to get to hear what that's about. It's pretty cool because she supports families to build their extraordinary story and how to proactively lead in our homes so that we can lead and inspire our kids to live really their best lives. And it really does start with us. So let's jump in. Well, welcome, Nellie, to the show. And I'm so excited to have you here and what we're going to be talking about. So welcome. Thank you so much. It's it's truly a pleasure to be here. <laughs> so I have to ask you, because we talked before, so I wouldn't blindside you, I've gotten a lot of feedback, like I said, from moms that are listening and they're like, I really want to hear 
more about how moms are struggling or how they failed because then it makes me feel so much better. So I thought I'm going to start asking, what is your biggest mom fail? I'm, I'm going to start asking, uh, you know, anybody interview what that is. So what is your biggest mom fail? No problem. Well, first, I have to say my voice is a little off because I just spent a week with 400 teenagers and they took me on a swing that dropped me 70 feet from the air and I screamed because that's what you would do when you drop 70 <laughs> feet. So anyway, my voice isn't normally this choppy, but you know, it is what it is. So um, yeah, mom feels like I said, I have a lot. I don't, I don't know a single mom that doesn't have a lot. I know a lot of moms that might not admit that they have a lot or that they are in denial that they have a lot, um, but we all have them. And I think failure is such a beautiful thing because that's how we grow and go forward. And if you don't have failure, then you're stuck, right? And so I've grown a lot, which means I've had a lot of failure. <laughs> um, and, you know, I have four kids that are, um, you know, in this middle school, high school area right here, which means I've had a long time to fall down. But I'd say one of my biggest fails, fails is when we expect our 12-year-old to have the maturity and capacity and emotional stability of our 30 or 40-year-old selves. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is such, that is so common and it's such a fail on our part because our job as parents is to help build them to where they are going to be in order to get them to that emotional and, and mental stability and being able to make good decisions and being able to process things, right? But when parents can so often, you know, me being one of them and have been guilty of it in the past, and I can, I can try to talk to my 12-year-old like I'm talking to a neighbor or a family member that's my same age. And I'm like, why aren't they getting this? Why aren't they making this decision? I just don't get it. And then it gets the parent all like frenzied. And then you're like, I just don't know. This kid is, you know, this kid is terrible. This kid is, you know, uh, just making oh. poor decisions. <laughs> right. And, you know, put in whatever adjective that you want to put in there. But it makes the parent give up a little bit on the kid when they're placing expectations on that kid that they have no right to put on that kid because that kid isn't there yet. And nor should they be. They're learning to get there, uh -huh. right? And so that's our job. And I would say that is a really common failure and one I fell into many, many times. And if I'm perfectly honest, I probably still do sometimes, but at least now I catch it. Yeah. Gosh, I'm so glad that you said that, especially with tweens and teens that yes. are going through so much developmentally, their brains are rewiring, they're changing, their whole world is new and different. I mean, there's just so many things. And then to put those expectations on them, I think mm -hmm. especially around feeling like to be able to regulate their emotions, they, right. they don't know how to do that. They don't have the brakes and steering, the whole adolescent brain. But you think, I, th I think about personally how long it's taken me to learn how to deal with conflict, to work through conflict, to share responsibly if I'm angry or upset about something. And so that's such a good thing for our listeners and for us, for me to keep saying to myself is like our kids, they're in this whole developmental process and not to put that on them. Um, so share with our listeners, 
about you and how you start doing what you're doing because you have such a interesting story. <laughs> um, thank you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I just, I find it interesting. Life itself is just interesting and all the journeys that we go on in it. When you just back up and look at it with a 30, you know, 30,000 foot view, you're like, wow, that is, that how I got from there to there is amazing. And, you know, for me, my dad passed away when I was really young. He, I was only one and a half when he passed away. And going into my known life experience with that had always gave, given me a carpe diem, you know, type of attitude and explore everything, do everything and, and go for it. And when my husband and I uh, first got married, um, we got married young, we were 22, 23. And um, a, a few years later, we started trying to have kids, we went through infertility, which was super, um, super hard to go through. And then we had four kids in four and a half years, which was equally, but you know, joyous, it was joyous, but also really hard to go through. And going through those like seven and a half years right there, and then having all these babies to take care of, um, which I love, love, loved, but at the same time, it just gets you, you know, it gets me so, or it got me so single-minded and into the uh, survival mode, right? And just letting each day pass and each day pass. And I wasn't, I had kind of lost that carpe diem a little bit and, or a lot of it. And, um, then just a few years later, my husband actually went into cardiac failure when he was only 31. And it turned out to be a congenital heart issue he had. That was a, a, um, a switch was just flipped like that overnight, literally. And he ended up in ICU. And, and uh, so after a couple of years of going through that in 2010 was really my wake up year. And it was literal and figurative and everything a wake up year. My husband had heart surgery that year in April on Earth Day. I always remember that. It was Earth Day when we went to the hospital. And um, and sitting in a waiting room with four kids that are between four and I think she was, what, eight months old. And, you know, them telling you, I don't know if your husband's going to make it. This is an experimental surgery. We're going to do the best we can. And I was like, okay, we had extinguished any other possibility. This was our last hope. And, um, and he is still here by the way, today, <laughs> before I go on, he is still here today. We're happy as happy as ever just celebrated our 20 year, uh, wedding anniversary. Um, but so, but that was a very large wake up call and not five weeks later, one of my twins who was two had a non-fatal drowning accident in my in-laws pool. And we, oh my gosh, my, how many weeks after five weeks after his heart surgery. Oh. And so, yeah, we, um, it was, uh, that is a miraculous story in, in and of itself. There was this, uh, there was this man that looked down and I won't get too much into it, but he said, is she okay? She was face down. She was, and, uh, we went over and it was the very dramatic, like, uh, my husband got her, I jumped out of the pool and we wiped everything off the table. It was at, it was at a family party. And so there was, I don't know, maybe 30 people around the pool. Nobody noticed, including my husband and I, she, uh, reached for something and fell in and, uh, cleared it. And I gave her CPR. And after two rounds, she came back and, but she, she wasn't there. Her eyes were in different directions. She was not coherent. Um, and they live far off into the country. So we jumped in the van and took her to the hospital because it was going to be much faster than an ambulance coming out and in. And, um, but by the time we got to the, to the hospital, 
uh, she could sing, uh, Mary had a little lamb and I knew, I knew it was going to be okay. I knew it was going to be okay then. And, uh, she didn't have a drop of water in her lungs anymore, even though more water after CPR came out of her lungs than I swear her little two-year-old body could actually hold. And so it really was a miracle. But after those two instances happening so close together in 2010, we really just started asking ourselves, okay, carpe diem, right? We started, we started living that life again. We're like, what do we want to get out of this family experience? Because it's short and it's not guaranteed, right? So what do we want to get out of this family experience, which we knew was so, was only a certain amount uh, long, right? It, we don't, that high impact time that we can have with our kids does not last forever. In fact, it only lasts 6,570 um, 6, days, 6570 days. And so we're like, okay, this is the amount of time we have. This is the amount of time we have left, right? Because many of those days had already been gone. What do we want to accomplish in that time as a family? What do we want to help our children accomplish so that when they come out of this, they are ready for the world? right? And to take on the world and have joy in the world and have success in whatever their unique success is going to be. And, you know, we don't need to prepare them for their specific kind of success necessarily. We need to prepare them for what success takes. And that is always going to be your self-leadership and discipline. And so anyway, we were asking ourselves all these questions then. And ever since then, We've been building our family toward what we want to see at the end of the 6570 road for each one of our kids. Wow. Wow. I'm just, I wrote down, life can change in an instant. Mm-hmm. It you know? really can. Yeah. And just from growing up, losing your dad at such a young age, I lost my da- dad at 10. And mm. so I know, you know, that it felt like the scales, so to speak, fell from my eyes. It's like one minute you're a kid, the next minute you're like, hello, you know, bad things can happen. Absolutely. Uh, I, I have to ask you when you were one and a half, mm-hmm. did you did you realize your dad was gone? Do you remember it? Was it when you were like, when did it kind of click for you that dad was gone? Is it something your family talked about? No. So actually it was, um, he got into an accident when I was nine months old and then he was in a coma until I was one and a half and he died when I was one and a half. So, um, he was in a coma for a good amount of that time. So I, I unfortunately don't at the same time though, I've always felt very close to him, very close to, to my dad, even though I never, you know, I only had nine months really of being able to play with him and, you know, do, you know, father daughter things. I was just nine months old when he got into his accident. And so, um, but yeah, I've always felt very close to him. I've had so many dreams about him and I have so many pictures of him. And what's really funny is when I got married, um, to my husband, Brian, um, we dated for four years before we got married. And I had two people that were family members and knew my dad say how much my, how much Brian, my husband, reminded them of my dad, which I thought was very interesting. That's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Did your family deal with that grief in an open way where you talked about it, where your dad's memory was kept alive? Um, <laughs> that's a tricky question. Uh, 
I would say that it was a very painful situation. The entire situation that surrounded it was painful um, for many different family members. He had to be taken off of life support. And uh, so there was, there was many family members that were against that. And there was some that were for it. And my mom had to make the decision and she was only in her early twenties when she had to make that decision. But every doctor was giving her crates of material saying, this, this is it. Like he's not coming out of a coma, you know? And I, I mean, she went through a road to try and figure that out. So we didn't really talk about him growing up, but I did have some aunts and uncles that would take me aside sometimes and just be like, Oh, you know, your dad, you know, used to do this. And he was really, really funny and he was so goofy and, you know, and they would just tell me stories growing up. So that was always nice. Yeah, that is nice. Cause I, I, I was just so curious when I heard you talked on a podcast, cause I felt that connection to you when you lose your dad young, although you didn't know him at all in a way, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, but you did, which is really amazing that you still feel like you have that, you know, you've always felt like you had that connection. That's really beautiful. Oh yeah. Still do. Still do. There's, there's times I feel like, you know, he's pretty close. I'm like, Hey dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Cause I do think, yeah. It's really important in our families when something tragic happens, when we have a loss of whatever it is, whether it's a loved one or something happens, that we talk about it, that we yeah. that we deal with that. And and our family, we didn't. My mom didn't know how to do that. I think that um, as a rule, I think that generation didn't know how to really talk about feelings and how to navigate that, but. You know, I think it's no. really important to keep the memory alive, to be talking about the person. And no, I agree. Yeah. I, I, um, well, what was really interesting. So my, my mom remarried when I was eight and my brother and sister then came out of that, uh, marriage. And unfortunately my stepdad, but I called him dad, they started dating when I was four, you know, so my dad's less than dad, but dad, uh, he died in 2012. And so my mom's been widowed twice now. And, um, but it was just really interesting to see, you know, how things were then and how things are now and the differences, but also having two siblings to walk, you know, walk through that with. And they took that grief very, very differently from each other and very differently than I did. Um, So, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a journey, you know, it really is. Well, and such a choice because you chose to take that and use it for good. Yeah. And to make a difference in your own life and your own family. And, you know, that's very powerful and to, to leading you to what you do today. So, so keep going on. So how many kids, you have four girls, what are their ages? (laughs) Um, So I have four girls. They are 16 twins are 13 and my youngest is 11. Yeah, it's just gonna. I have a I have a background in biology. That's what I biology and uh, behavioral science and psychology, and so that's what I went through. I actually started my whole career um, studying marine mammal, um, marine mammals and behavior. Um, but then it moved into human work, um, and so I went from I always say like I went from humpbacks to humans, and that was that's been my road so far. And um, but I worked in family wellness for a while. And really just diving in and helping people break those uh, habits that they have and incorporating better habits. And that all stemmed from 
the fact that my husband, we really needed to find a way for him and all of the things we went through with him for the four and a half years we were dealing with that to where he is today. And, you know, he's able to, we, we have the, you know, the Peloton and we walk and we do all these things. And you never would know that 13 years ago, he was having massive heart issues. You know, you just would never know that because of the steps that we've taken in order to break habits and start new ones. But along that journey with working with families in particular, uh, you know, parents and kids, but also working with, um, you know, the 55 and older community and everything, it always, 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 always came down to being able to self, uh, self-discipline and not just self-discipline. I have an, I have an entire, um, I call it the discipline spectrum, right? And um, without getting into it too much, you know, you start as a child with parent-led discipline. It goes to parent discipline, self-discipline, and then self-led discipline. And if you can get your child to self-led discipline before they leave home, that is ideal. And that's what I do with all my clients and, and working with them there. But I was working with 55 plus, you know, and, and people in their 80s, 90s even that had never gotten to the discipline place where they could look at a situation where they could make a sound decision that would benefit them and the world around them, follow through with the actions and come to a positive result. Mm-hmm. And that's really what self-led discipline looks like. And when you self-led, when you uh, find yourself in self-led discipline, you can find yourself then in self-led leadership. And I truly believe you cannot properly lead other people until you can lead yourself. And so I was actually just listening to a podcast about this this morning, talking about massive leaders that are out there that are having a, that are having a difficult time because they haven't dealt with the core emotional issues in their own lives. And that's exactly that's exactly what I do, right? You need to work on being able to have the, the building blocks to be a self-led leader before you can be an other people leader, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. what I get to do. <laughs> wow. So talk about, talk about that more because I know that there's moms listening especially after COVID and what we've been through Mm -hmm. and kids being so not motivated, parents struggling with motivation. When you talk about self-led discipline, what do you mean? So just taking you through the the discipline spectrum a little bit to give you some, I'm a visual person, uh, totally. So um, yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So um, let's just talk about this. So uh, parent-led discipline, right? That is when you have the toddler or, you know, maybe kindergartner and things like that. And it is, uh, I don't know, let's just use the name Tommy. It's like, hey, Tommy, it's time to pick up toys now. I'm going to help you. Let's pick up the toys together. Yay, we picked up the toys, right? So the parent is making the decision, following through with the action and celebrating the result. And, and that child is latched on to that, right? Mm-hmm. But then you walk into parent discipline which is, hey, Tom, they're a little bit older, obviously, at this time, elementary school. And it's like, hey, Tommy, why don't you go ahead and pick up your toys? And then you give that child time and space, just a little bit. I mean, I'm not talking hours or whatever, but give them, you know, a reasonable amount of time, five, 10 minutes to get over there and pick up the toys and make that decision, or I'm sorry, and follow through with those actions and come to a result, right? But the parent made the choice. Yeah. So that's, that's the difference. A parent made the choice and then the kid follows through and comes to the outcome. 
Now there's this dance that happens between parent discipline and self-discipline. Self-discipline um, is when the the parent says it, but then the child follows through with it and comes through. You never have to go to that child again and ask them, right? I mean, who, what parent that is listening to this right now has never had to ask their child to do something more than once? Yeah. I'd, I'd say zero, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? And so, yeah. um, uh, so when you have parent discipline, it is, Hey, Tommy, you know, clean, clean up the toys or, you know, it's probably not toys at that point. Clean up your room. Let's say clean up your room. Hey, Tommy, I asked you to clean up your room. Can you go do that, please? Tommy, if you don't clean up your room, then this is going to happen. Right? So the parent is still enforcing that and the kid may or may not do it. Self-discipline is, you know, the parent said, Hey, can you go do that? Kid is like, Yep, I got it. And I'm going to go do that. I'm going to come to a, a result. But there's this dance that plays back and forth for a long time with that. But if you can get to the point that the kid sees that the room needs to be cleaned up, takes it on to themselves to clean up the room and come to a result without the parent even saying anything, maybe not even noticing that the room needed to be cleaned up. That's the goal. That's where you want them to be when they see a problem and they come up with a plan to fix the problem and they do fix the problem. And that, and if they fail in doing that, then great, they fail, but at least they went through that and they got to a result and they can do better next time, right? Failing better. Now, out of those four steps, guess where the majority of parents, when they get to that, at the end of their 65, 70 with their kid, their kid turns 18, we've lost that major impact and influence window on our kid. And they're leaving to go off to college or going off to a gap year, or going off to work or start a business or whatever they're doing. Guess where their discipline spec or they are in the discipline spectrum? They're still in parent led or parent discipline, not parent led discipline, but they're still in parent discipline. Yes. And then it's a huge problem because then you have these young adults that don't know how to approach the world or how to be productive in the world or how to succeed in the ways that they want to succeed in the world. They might see this, oh, it would be really great if I could blah, blah, blah. But they see it as a pipe dream because they they don't have the building blocks within them in order to get there. Mm -hmm. And they don't see it as attainable. And if we could make every dream that a person has attainable to them, because if it's in you, it's for you, right? If yeah. you have a dream that is in you, then that is for you to do. And so if we can make those dreams attainable for people, I can't even imagine what this world would look like if people were actually able to make decisions that best uh, fit themselves and the world around them, follow through with it and achieve a result, the world would turn on its axis, which is why I 1 million percent think that, the, uh, that our future is literally being made in the living rooms uh, of today. So in the, those tiny moments that, are that families are having today, mm -hmm. that is where our future is being built. And it's not necessarily being built in our colleges, right? By the time they get to college, all of those core beliefs, all of those, uh, those inside voices, they're already programmed, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's really being built in the living rooms and around dining room tables and on family vacations and all of that today. What do you... What do you think, in your experience, is the biggest 
issue. I mean, kids are not prepared today. And like you said, they are parent-led discipline. So what would you say to that parent that is really having a hard time letting go? Where do they start? What's their biggest challenge? Well, and that's that's such a loaded question. I all the families I, I work with and have worked with, they're so different. Every family is so unique. There is a there is a fingerprint uh, on every family. So there's as many different families as there are families. And so all the struggles are different too, which is why I really believe in and what I do is whole family work. Because part of what I do in the, in I, my work is broken up into three sections, the core section, the foundation, and then the dailies. Um, and, but in the core section, we're working on core beliefs, not just in this little family square you have right now currently, but that parent's core beliefs were formed when they were kids, yes. right? Yeah. And so if you dive into those, you can say, all right, what do we want to, you know, what does that look like? What do we want to keep? What do we want to get rid of? What do we want to start? And then how do we do that going forward? So honestly, the biggest part, a lot of times of parenting is looking at your own self and what you're bringing into it and, and figuring out where do I want to be? Like, is for me, oh my goodness, it is uh, like a, a temper. I can, I mean, I'm not like throwing chairs or anything, but I can slip into, you know, I can, I can get mad on a dime. And, but that's not good. It's not good for me. It's not good for anyone else. And then I'm like, what am I teaching my kids? Right? Because whatever you are statements that I'm saying today are their future. I am statements. Yeah. And so it's so important for me to watch my tongue and watch my temper and be very diligent and careful about what I say, because my voice now is their inner voice later. And I know that because that's my story. And, you know, I've been in psychology for 20 plus years. And so um, I, I, you just need to really be careful what you're doing there. But also, I mean, you're asking, you know, where do you start? You start with yourself, for sure. You start with looking at the world that your kiddo is in, you know, who they're hanging out with, what they want, right? It really always, always comes down to communication because Mm -hmm. you're not going to know anything about your kid and their desires, their hurts, right? We all have hurts. You're not going to know unless you have those conversations. And that is where in comes vulnerability. And that is going to be key to it all, right? for, we talked a little bit about perfectionism earlier before this. And I, I think that perfectionism is a wall and vulnerability is the key that can open that for sure. Right. And so let's face no one's perfect. I don't know. Like, why did perfectionism become a thing? If no one is perfect, no one can be perfect. Then why did perfectionism become a thing? It's like people trying to be a cartoon. No one can be a cartoon. So why did we (laughs) die? Why do we try, you know? Um, But people can be perceived as perfect. And it's very interesting. I told you I just came from that week away with these students. And there's some students that were on that trip that are very much perceived as the popular perfect kids, right? But when you have them for an entire week and they can't, go home for the day or, you know, it's after practice and they leave and whatever. 
and they can have that perfect mask on for a while, not because they, you know, want to have it on some, some may or may not, but they feel like they have to have it on. Right. And so, but when you're with kids 24 hours a day for that, for that amount of time, they take the mask off because no one can keep that on for very long at all. And you see that no one is perfect. And that is such a valuable lesson for the kids that, you know, feel like they are not in the, in the perfect category. They're like, Oh wait, they're not perfect either. And if they're not perfect, it might be okay for me not to be perfect too, you know? Um, But vulnerability is key and they'll break down and, and be vulnerable. And I'm not talking like being, you know, sloppy on the floor in tears or anything, although that can happen too. I'm just talking about maybe needing some downtime, right? Needing some quiet reflection time, maybe taking a walk on their own because they've been with 50 friends all day talking, talking, talking. They're like, hey guys, I just really need like just just a little bit of time that I can be me. And people are like, oh, okay, you know, no problem. Um, but anyway, vulnerability and for parents to kids, that's a big one because you want to be relatable to your kids. I don't think you being your kid's best friend is a good idea, but you want to be relatable to your kids um, because then they'll see you as someone that they can come to and talk to. We all want our kids to come and talk to us. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And perfectionism is such a block to kids feeling safe, like they mm-hmm. can talk to us. And that... If we're perfectionists, I know this from experience, being a recovering perfectionist, I'm going to put that on my kids. But the more I was able, doing my own personal growth work, um, and still to this day, and we're always growing, we're always learning, but it translated to my family. And Mm. like parenting, Dan Siegel has a book called Parenting from the Inside Out, and I love that's, it's a great book. And I love that phrase because that is exactly what you're saying mm-hmm. is if I'm being so hard on myself and I put all this pressure on myself and I'm a perfectionist, that will translate to my kids. They cannot help, even though I say, oh, I'm not going to, they, they do catch it, like you yeah. said. So the more that I have learned to have compassion for myself, acceptance, um, it's, it's my kids have, I've been able to give that to them as well. And that does, it comes through vulnerability and to admit our struggles and our pain and our hurt that's vulnerable. Yeah. 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 And just letting them know that you're wrong sometimes because we're all wrong sometimes and being able, being able to apologize to your kid. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Being able to say, you know what? I probably shouldn't have done that, said that, what have you, whatever the situation is. I am sorry, you know, and, and looking them in the eyes. And when, when someone grows up in a home that they're never apologized to by an adult, right. It makes them feel like I never have to apologize when I'm an adult. Right. And, and at the same time, as a kid, you're like, you need to say sorry. I mean, we do this when they're like, they have toys and they're one year old, like say sorry, you know, but then as the adult, you never say sorry. That speaks volumes to your kids. And so that's, an, that's another point of vulnerability. I studied under Brene Brown for um, like a year and a half. And she, uh, for any of the listeners, she is the quintessential like lead on vulnerability. Love, love, love. Anything of Brene Brown's, go read it. It'll be gold for you. Yeah. Um, the imperfection is a really good place to start. It's not very 
mean, she has a lot, you know, of yes. great books, but that's a really good one. It is. It is right there. Yeah. Imperfection. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, vulnerability. I learned so much about vulnerability when I was going through that because I, you know, I grew up more with an impervious um, mindset and then understanding how important vulnerability is. And it broke down so many of my own personal walls. And then I was able to pass that on too. So um, yeah, that was got to be vulnerable. Yeah. Got to be vulnerable. How has that made a difference in your relationship with your, with your girls and with your husband? Was there a time like, have you, have you noticed your own growth and how that's translated to your relationship with them? Oh, absolutely. And we grow together as a family, which I think is so, so important. Um, You know, it isn't, I mean, I have my own personal growth journey and my husband has his and my kids each have their own. But when we can come together and discuss those things and be vulnerable with one another, it just brings truth into a space. And if you have truth, then you can find better answers, right? So we have family meetings, uh, for example. And when one person is speaking, nobody else can speak um, because that person needs to be heard, if, especially if they're having a hurt, but also if they're celebrating something. I mean, how often are you sharing with somebody something that you know, you're proud of or you're excited about and you get cut off? And then your immediate feeling is, I guess that's not that important, right? Yeah, yeah. And so if they are given the the mics, not, not that we have microphones, but if they're given the mic, so to speak, then whatever positive they have to say, we all get to hear it and cheer them on. And whatever that needs work, we all get to hear it. And then after they're done, come up with a solution or maybe an apology needs to be made or maybe you know some way of moving forward. But if we didn't have that vulnerability and growth as a family, then things just get buried. And with any burial of something like that comes resentment. And so, which is, you know, a recipe for disaster uh, in any family, because you don't want them leaving home with resentment, because once they leave home, whatever is there stays possibly forever, at least for a very long time. But honestly, most times for forever. So while we have them in this beautiful window of 6,570 days, we are, I, I call them architects. I call parents architects because we are literally building the beginning of someone else's life. Mm-hmm. And so we yeah, have, you know, so we, boring, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have the, we have the, you know, get your hard hat on. Cause you're going to be, you know, toys are going to be thrown at you. And then later on words are going to be thrown at you and emotions are going to be thrown at you. So get your hard hat on. But at the same time, you are building the beginning of their life. I mean, as an adult, we sit there and we're, you know, my knee jerk reactions, you know, my temper, for example, I have a long line of people in my, you know, family that have, you know, real quick tempers. And I know that came from, you know, in my first 65, 70, or, you know, feelings of worthiness or unworthiness can definitely come from that time. Your core beliefs about money come from that time. Your core beliefs about your I am statements and what that is, that all comes from there. By the time you're done with that 65, 70, you have your suitcase that's full with everything that you are going to take into, into whatever you're going to accomplish in your life. And so we as parents 
We're building that time for them. We're building their platform that's going to take them for the rest of their life. And so it's just such an, it's such an important role that we play, but it's, it's so important that we realize it, right? There's a lot of parents out there that are, I was sitting um, behind someone not too long ago at a restaurant and she had a, she had some teenagers. I didn't know her, but I just heard her talking and she was like, oh, I don't know. They're off doing something, but they're out of my hair. So I don't really care. And uh, I just know that I'm alive today and I'm with you. So, you know, here. And so that broke my heart though, because I'm like, who knows what those kids are doing? And I, I, I want, I just want, there's so much potential for family growth. There's so much potential for family leadership and building those, uh, you know, self-led leaders and that self-led discipline into kids. And if we drop the ball too early, then we miss an opportunity because we're assuming that they're already adults at 13 years old. So a mom is listening right now and her son's room has rotting food. There's clothes all <laughs> over. He, you know, they just came out of COVID and he didn't want to do his homework. What would you, how, how do you begin to unravel that? How would you, how would you, uh, what, what would be some wisdom, wise words you would give her some encouragement? You know, well, with clients that I have, because I obviously have clients that that's the case because these are teens after all, but, um, you know, I just sit down with them and I, and I ask the kiddo, and this is why, again, it's so important that it's whole family coaching. It's not just the mom that's getting coached and then it's her job to go out and do something right. If we do whole family coaching, then everyone has accountability to everyone else. But I would talk to that kiddo along with the whole family. And if I'm not a part of it, you know, hopefully someone listening can take this and just ask them, what, what are you trying to get out of your room? What does your room mean to you? And what do you think that room means to me? This is our house. This is our home. I work really, really hard to have this home for our family. And it does hurt my feelings and it's disrespectful to have it like this. You know, in, in our home, we have, um, there's four respects. There's self, others, time, and property. And those are the four respects that people follow in our home. Okay. And that obviously breaks the uh, property disrespect, right? It is disrespect to others because it's anyone that has to smell that or we got the, you know, the cockroaches in there now and we got the whatever's in there now. That's disrespect to that. So it breaks a respect, but really honing in and making sure that they know why respect is so important because just turning the tables, how would you feel if in your room right now, someone came and unloaded an entire trash bag of, I don't know, the dog's droppings from the backyard. Would that make you happy? Like, how would that make you feel? Would that be respectful to you and your space? Now I'm sure that they'll probably say no. And relating that to, well, that to you is what this is to me. And just making that relatable and understanding that it's not just because I'm telling you to. I'm not just trying to give you my authority, like give authority over you. I'm not trying to just, you know, pour over you that I am adult. You are kid. You must listen to me, right? This is a respect issue and it hurts my feelings. And I would really appreciate if you could do this. Do you think that you could find or that you could respect me? And help me, uh, and help me by cleaning up your room. Yeah. 
just yeah. bring, mm-hmm. bringing it on the same level mm-hmm. and showing them how important respect is. Yeah. I love that. You talk um, about um, having fun and mm-hmm. creating. And I think that as moms, especially moms that are listening, we are striving. We're trying so hard to do a great job listening to all the podcasts and all of these things. And, and so we take things very seriously, which, you know, wanting good things is really good. Mm-hmm. And I find working with moms and myself, because we care so much, we want to grow, we want our kids to, you know, to thrive. We often focus more on the stuff that they're maybe not doing, or we need to teach them to do. And then, then you're back to that parent, you know, the parent discipline rather than the, the kid learning to take ownership of their lives. How right. would you encourage moms to lighten up a little and have a little bit more fun? Fun. Oh, well, we 100% believe in fun here. Um, our nickname is actually the Happy Hardens. That's what like our hashtag is. It has been for years. We're in town. People are like, it's the Happy Hardens. Now, I will say we are not happy all the time, but we choose happiness every time it comes to our minds that we have a choice, right? And um, and it's just so important to have that joy. And we just are goofy. Everyone has goofiness. Everyone can remember when they were in, you know, middle school or, I mean, can, go back to kindergarten if you need to, right? And if a song comes on and you feel like dancing, have a kitchen dance party, right? Because nothing can break tension better than laughter. Yeah. Laughter is such amazing medicine and such a beautiful, awesome, hilarious, right? Way to break ice and just move forward. So find the human, and I'm not talking about sarcasm. When you start having sarcasm in the family, that can really start to break things down. When you are having humor at the detriment of somebody else, that's a deal breaker. And, you know, it can really hurt a family. I've seen it. So I've seen it many times, unfortunately. Um, but when you can have true humor and just be goofy, right. And if a song comes on, sing at the top of your voice, even though you can't probably sing like me, especially right now, you know, um, <laughs> just have so much fun, go somewhere, be spontaneous, you know, whatever that is, have vacations. And if you can't afford vacations, just go down the road somewhere, take a walk somewhere, just be spontaneous and be very intentional with that time. And connect every day. I promise you'll hear some crazy stories from your kids. You know, um, I get asked, I get asked pretty regularly, actually, if dinner at the table every single night is something that we do and something that's very important. And just, there's six of us, we're all kind of all going around and we try to have dinner at the table, but it doesn't always happen. But it's not dinner that's important, right? It's that connection, that that time that you yes, can come together. Yes, I agree. Uh-huh. Right. It might not be dinner for some families. Exactly. I know people that work the night shift. And so the only time they see each other as a whole family is like at 1030 at night. But you know what? At 1030 at night, they all gather in the parents' bedroom and they talk about the day and they talk about what happened that day and they share stories and they have a connection point. So as long as you can have a connection point that everyone is sharing and being, you know, vulnerable, like, oh, you know, today was pretty great. It was awesome. I talked to this person. Um, I did have this little hiccup here, but it's okay. Tomorrow I'm going to, you know, be able to do better and everything. 
just being real, being vulnerable, telling those fun stories, um, you know, and having that connection point every day. But yeah, be goofy. Just yeah, smile. Find find humor. Don't take it so seriously, and work like you said towards having those positive, intentional goals that you have. Figuring out what you want. So, yeah. as we're closing. Due to time, I want you to tell them because you have the 6570 program, yeah. that project that you work on. Where do they find you? Um, so my website is probably the best place. I'm also uh, Nellie Harden on Instagram. Um, I'm on uh, Facebook as well um, at Discipline Hacks for Teens and Tweens. Um, but my, on my website, which is just NellieHarden.com, is where you can go. And I actually have a Family Success Vault, which is filled with great things that you can use for time, for school, for discipline. I have a master class in there, and that is all free, just like my gift, my heart to you, um, because I've been there and I am there. You know, I, I have four kids that are in middle and high school right now. I'm living it with you. Um, I just have some of these tools that I've been working on for 20 years. <laughs> Everybody, check her out. I'll put it in the show notes and Thank you for oh, thank you. what you're putting into the world and how you're helping families and moms and, gosh, kids to, yeah, thrive. Well, that's it for today. And thank you so much for joining me. And if you are looking for resources to help build connection, communication, if you're dealing with disrespect, if you are looking for support with setting limits and boundaries, I want to encourage you to check out MottsUniversity.com where we have so many resources to support you raising your tween or teen. It's M-O-T-T-S University.com. And of course, reach out to me if you need any support, you have any questions that you want me to answer on during my Facebook Lives. I'm here for you and I'm here to support you any way that I can. My email is Cheryl at moms of tweens and teens.com. So shoot me an email and let me know how I can support you more. So have a great week and I will see you back here next time.